the Batman, Aircon, and Switch and Signal. This is Staying In. I've actually been thinking about this all week, and I feel like this is one of those philosophical questions that is a bit like the sheep, uh, the, the 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 ship of Theseus, or the trolley problem. Triggers broom. Yeah, any, anything along those lines, right? What's more important to a sandwich: the bread or the filling? So those it's kind of okay. Things. So it's kind of close to that, Sam. I'll be honest with you. So, do you eat soup? Or do you drink soup? Eat it. Correct answer. Move on. I was about to say a week on this. You've put a week on. I've put a full week into this. Okay, okay. Just, just, just to, just to play in this space a little bit. Let's say, um, <coughs> Sam, what element of soup are you determining that you're eating it in? What, what, what makes it eating? So, if you were to compare it to orange juice. Mm-hmm. You drink orange juice, which mm-hmm. is juiced, squeezed from a fruit, yep. and potentially you could have a tomato soup, which is juice and a bit of the pulp from a tomato. Mm-hmm. So which so so why is why are you eating one and drinking another? By the way, you're right. I'm just trying to play in the space uh, because a soup is cooked, ingredients list, what it's served in, and how you drink it. So let's move on. So gazpacho soup is cold is cooked and then it's cooled yeah. it's cooked and then it's cooled okay yep okay. go on but it's still it's still a liquid i know okay what about uh what about hot chocolate hot chocolate where you blend ingredients you heat it but you drink yeah. it but it's it's a dessert Cup of tea though. you're blending ingredients you're heating it but you're drinking but- it you're not blending ingredients. It's yeah, just you are. it's just stuff infused from a well, bloody I, I leaf. Don't, I don't I don't deconstruct my cup of tea and have the milk separately. Yeah, and the hot chocolate <laughs> example is is particularly good. I don't I don't chew on tea tea bags and then have a drink of water. I blend them all together. Mm. Nope. You know, but again, again, okay. So in my list of things, fair enough. Cooked ingredients. Next, what you serve it in. Mug, how you consume bowl. it so you don't yeah okay so some teas are served in bowls fair enough do you eat a cup of soup or do you drink a cup of soup eat it it's a soup but it's in a mug no it's not so chris and i had a bit of a epic weekend from a friday night until a sunday afternoon we were on it mm-hmm were you, were you painting the town red? Oh, like you wouldn't believe, Dan. Like you would not believe. You're ripping it up, you know, back in your youth. <clears throat> bed by 10? Oh, no. the the Well, multiple nights we weren't in bed until at least one o'clock in the morning. What? Yeah, I know. What were you doing? Bonkers. Bonkers. Well, the first night, the Friday, it was our rescheduled trip to go and see the Batman. Oh. <gasps> We went in your car, didn't we, Sam? But we went in my car, yeah. <laughs> Safely and securely, got there on time. And the it was like the only showing we could go and see was a late one. So we didn't get out of there until like half midnight. <laughs> but yeah, so it's an all right film, isn't it? <sighs> is, is, that, is, that the, is that the Sam review? Yeah, it's an all right film. Oh, no, Chris is... <laughs> Do you want the Sam review? Just on the Batman, 
Are we going to talk like spoilers, or are we going to just just like, or are we not? We Should we do what we did for Spider Man and do like a an overview, how it made us feel? Yeah. First, and then we'll do spoilies at the end, which Chris can just tag on, and he doesn't have to worry about cutting anything out because it's at the end of the podcast. So. Okay. No, no. Good. it's important we keep that soup chat in. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think what I can say about it without spoiling it is I think that it's a very good film but but it's too long way too long and I think that everything it does that it's brilliant basically it spends about an hour forgetting what it does that's brilliant and then f- remembers at the end of the film, oh yeah, that's that's why this film is so brilliant. So let's do that again and then finish on a high. So for me, it's tonally all over the place. The message that it's trying to say about Batman and actually the, the story of the film sort of go- flies all over the place because it forgets itself in the middle hour. Um, but eventually, and looking at it in the whole, I think that the casting is superb, the soundtrack is superb, and the... The, the the Batman story that I think it's trying to tell is actually quite smart, but I don't think it kind of gets away with it on the whole. But otherwise, I had a good time. I'd, I'd, I'd agree with, I think, uh, most of those points. I think by the sounds of it, I enjoyed it more than you did. Um, from, like, looking at kind of all the other superhero films that I've seen in, in probably recent years, not just kind of recently now, but it stuck with me for a lot longer and it left me thinking about it a lot longer than most other films. Um, and that could be because I was kind of questioning it all the way through. It's a very, very different kind of film compared to what we have come to expect um, of kind of superhero films, whether they be Marvel or whether they be DC or kind of anything around that, both kind of Sony or, or Marvel or anything like that. So it is very, very different. It's very new, which was great. It You can't, not compare it to i'm not going to go into spoiler right now you can't not compare it to the christopher nolan trilogy and that's such a such a high bar for any superhero film to meet and it doesn't try to meet it and it's obviously looking at a wider trilogy or multiple films to 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 build on and so i'm very interested to see where it builds because there are certain things i'm missing from it that felt that i felt left me a little bit cold that I am happy when I, we talked about Eternals. I said at the end of it, I've got no interest in spending any time with these people. With Bat, with the Batman, I'm really interested to see to spend more time with these people. I want to see how the story develops to see if perhaps the things that I'm missing can come in later, and it becomes a much more rounded story. I agree. There's a there's a there's a whole portion that we'll go into afterwards of that just doesn't need to be there, and it does kind of get lost a little bit. Um, but there are so many kind of motifs and themes and tones that are there for most of the film, which are really effective. And the way the visuals are done really creates something of the character that I don't really think has been done before. Like it was like the, the fear of the Batman is there much more so than any other kind of Batman film other than perhaps like the the kind of the dockyard scene in Batman Begins that's the closest I can see like other than that I've never really felt him b- 
being like a really really scary person to criminals whereas in this you absolutely get that and the visuals back that up completely i think snyder pulled off a pretty scary batman i thought batfleck was pretty pretty intimidating just on a just on a point what which i thought was quite interesting just of something that you just said there dan and just a wider point about movies these days and how they're made in terms of franchising like isn't it a bit of a shame that when we think about films now it's almost almost with the caveat oh but it'll be better the the sequel will make it will make this first one better like everything is viewed in the sense that a sequel will sort out all the problems with the first one like it's the same with uncharted like uncharted's good pretty average mediocre film but the sequel but but don't worry we'll fix all those things and we'll make it better for the sequel it's almost like everything has to be franchised out and everything has to have has to be sequelized and serialized that we are almost a film just can't doesn't really feel like it just can stand on its own anymore like those problems that you got yeah. with the film dan it shouldn't have to rely on a sequel to, to to fix them they are just they are just issues well maybe just to clarify then because it's not that i did i wasn't kind of saying that i needed to have those maybe i've just misspoke kind of going into it there are certain things that i was looking for that the film consciously doesn't do and so as a as a viewer who goes in with a kind of an idea going in there's an element of letdown from that however i'm aware of the, the the business that they will kind of make more and so i'm hopeful that that gets picked up elsewhere i don't think it's necessarily of a fault of the film but i've come into it with a with an idea of what i want to see and i want to see certain uh story beats and character beats shown and explained that don't happen but i also understand that that's not the the film's not doing that it's not a case of it's just forgotten or it's done it in a bad way it's purposely not doing certain things that as the story progresses and the characters develop that can be built into it and i think it's it's a a logical thing for it to happen after this stage having seen this film it makes sense for it to happen after this stage than it would be kind of it's not something where it's set up and it ends on a cliffhanger or it's like your june part one where it just doesn't finish the story type thing you 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 don't have that it does stand on its own you could watch this and not have another one and it you wouldn't lose anything necessarily but having additional films would i think round out some of the things that have been put in um and enhance them as opposed to kind of needing those extra ones in order for them to make make work I'm going to have to, in some respects, strangely, I'm going to agree with Sam in the sense that I, I almost don't want there to be a sequel to this film. I want them to do what they do in the graphic novels or the comic books. I want this to be a one shot and then mm-hmm. let another director take a crack at it. We So we were encountering the Batman in their second year on as a, as a in their kind of dual role as a vigilante fighting crime in Gotham. And so they're just on this kind of rocky relationship given the fact that they're a vigilante with the Gotham Police Department. And as Dan alluded to, they are, they've begun, they've begun to kind of weaponize the shadows and become, you know, a symbol of fear, a very potent symbol of fear. But they're, they're a bit, still a bit green and a little bit fresh-faced. So they, they're, they're not always right. Um, and actually we see an, a Batman that fails quite a lot spectacularly. The fight scenes aren't, are deliberately not very stylized. This is somebody who's very angry and an unrestrained and they come a cropper as a consequence and it's at this time where they are 
helping the police solve a mystery, um, tracking down a serial killer who leaves riddles with the bodies of their victims. As you're kind of following that mystery, I think it's fair to say, understandably, as you follow as you follow through that mystery, you actually follow the Batman through these different stratas of the Gotham society, from those in power um, on the surface to those who are in power from within the shadows, I suppose, really. Man in cloak beats up people. Yeah, and I think it's I'm always a bit wary about this because it's really, really interesting. I was talking about, you know, the idea that I want I want just another director to have a crack at it because I really, really enjoyed this. I don't want a trilogy out of this because I, I'm worried that it'll dilute the quality of this one, mm. really. Everyone has their favourite type of Batman. Mine has always been the detective in the same way that I could go and read, read detective comics, I could go and read Batman, I could go and read the Justice League. If I like Batman as part of a, as a team, the Super Friends, and that there's, there's a Batman for me out there. And in the same way that like it seems really reductive to kind of pit all the different Batmen against each other, like everyone's got their own type of Batman. And what I love about this character is he's been around since 1939. You know, I love the idea that in the future, archaeologists will look back and they won't know if Batman was someone that actually existed. That we've mythologized <laughs> yeah. in the same in the same way that we've done that with Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you ask somebody on the street, was Robin Hood a real person? They won't know. And, 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 and I think we'll get that in the future with the Batman. And instead, they'll look at the and what we have here is almost imagine this was a character that existed, and what we have is a bit like with our modern day um, adaptations of myths. Oh yeah, this is my interpretation of Helen of Troy or whatever. And I like the fact that every, you know every version of Batman is a, just a different telling of that mythos, mm-hmm. really. And for me, what drew me to the Batman as the character as a child was the fact that he was just Sherlock Holmes wearing a cape, and he could go places the police couldn't. But at his core, he was a detective. And I, I, I love every iteration of the Batman in cinema, but as soon as I heard that this was a detective story, mm-hmm. uh, that was always going to be the main hook and drive for me. It's very, you know, if I, if I mentioned some kind of touchstones when I was watching this film, it felt like I was watching Fincher's Seven. I got yep. echoes of Chinatown, which has been, you know, kicked around quite a lot on the internet. You don't need to look very far because Matt Reeves is very, very honest and talking about um, the kind of influences for that and that that that's totally my jam but it might not be for other people's and it's, it's it's not me trying to be evasive here because I think you know there's points to be made in terms of being you know critical of a film but it just it, that's that's my type of Batman really and it really really speaks to me it's very echoic and I don't think many people have mentioned this enough of the animated series mm-hmm. where it's it's stylized without being stylish where you've just got the single character, the Batman, all in black with just the blue trim and the white of the eyes and a very, very particular use of colour there, which Dan alluded to there. And I've listened to interviews with Matt Reeves and I think this is a film I want to listen to the director's commentary for Mm -hmm. because the stuff they were doing was just bonkers. If you watch the film, if you look at the corners, all the edges are often quite blurred using these anamorphic lenses. They deliberately chose to use lenses that were were pretty much broken and they were like, are we going to get chucked out because... We're breaking all the rules. We're just going back against everything we've been taught. That they would put like um, a paper film over the lens and smear silica gel on it. So everything looks grimy and grubby. Um, And that's not necessarily a new thing, but there's a texture to it that you get in those mid-90s, early 2000s films. And, and, And a good example for me is that marked difference between watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit where everyone got really, you know, they got absolutely besotted with these new red cameras. 
but it just looked like a big budget Sets. TV show, the Hobbit yeah. trilogy. And you get a little bit of that with the Marvel stuff where you can only cut between shots, go, okay, that's on, that's on a set. Oh, that's on location. That's just a green screen. And it's all one scene. And what I liked about this particular film was this was a Gotham that wasn't somewhere I could encounter necessarily in the real world. But if I looked hard enough, maybe I could find it. Whereas in some Batman films, you know, Gotham City is clearly, oh yeah, that's, that's just Chicago. And there's nothing distinctive to it that is Gotham per se. It's interesting that you're that what you said about like different interpretations of Batman and, and the detective stuff that it being the one that you that you particularly like. Um, the the Batman that I prefer that I, I find is the most compelling is the freak, the psychopath, vengeance, mm-hmm. the power fantasy, the vigilante, the man who is right on the edge of sanity and should probably be locked away in fact he definitely should be locked so asriel basically yeah like yeah like i the the batman i like is the batman that is how the cops see him he's he's he, he's a freak like he's not and to me this this movie is um is all of that like for me this is the best batman movie ever made like it hands down like it 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 portrays a character in such a way that I find um, I find thrilling in the way that watching police camera action is thrilling. The uh, <laughs> it's the kind of thrilling of how far is this going to go? Am I going to see someone get killed? Am I actually witnessing a crime here? It's that horrible almost primal watching the thing get murked titillation that as a superhero i think batman is one of the few characters that manages to do it and not be super hokey like not be super like like spawn like night like 90s uh, like late 90s early noughties image comics kind of like dark and depressed and 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 cool like instead like this is a character that is deeply, deeply troubled and is not a character that you that you should want to empathize with, and yet right at the heart, you do empathize with them to some to some degree, something primal inside you. There were scenes in that movie where I was sat in the cinema and I went, I wish I could beat up baddies. And that's that like genuinely, like there is a power fantasy element in it. Where it's like, I wish I could just do the right thing. I wish I, because I know there's bad things going on. I wish I could just say sod it and have the complete, essentially carte blanche to do whatever I wanted and go and beat the crap out of a load of people who are terrible. Like, and that's a horrible feeling. That's a horrible thing to have to kind of like get excited about. But it does, it's that dark tingling inside of you that makes you go, oh yeah, yeah power fantasy stuff so for me it was the ba- it was uh, it was the best batman movie ever so the word soup it comes from the late latin supper and the old french for soup which is a sop or a broth poured on slices of bread so actually that's the thing if you can pour it on slices of bread yeah but you can pour anything you know, on slices so of sh- bread yeah of course you can but if it, and i was about to say <laughs> and it whether it's 
socially acceptable to do that. If I went, if I went into a restaurant and said, "Yeah, um, oh that, uh, that, uh, yeah that creme caramel. Can you uh, have you got a ciabatta? I can pour that on." <laughs> they'd, they'd put, they'd, that would raise an eyebrow, wouldn't yeah, it? Really, definitely. I like the fact that in this scenario, Chris is still refusing to eat soup. Well, you know, it is my Achilles heel done. Exactly. Yeah. Um, soup. I mean, you have a sachet of cup of soup and you have a sachet of hot chocolate. You put them both in a mug. You add boiling oh, don't water. Don't do that, Chris. That sounds but, awful. But Sam, you are eating one of them and you're drinking another. But there's but... the process has been exactly mm-hmm. the same. Yeah, I know. But that, that's a beauty of language, though, Dan, isn't it? The beauty, the beautiful thing that we use—a very simple, a very simple measure of syntax that means that when you're speaking to someone, they know exactly what you're doing. Mm. Oh, I'm just having. I'm just eating some soup oh brilliant that sounds like a perfectly normal thing to do out of a out of a mug oh i'm just drinking some hot chocolate oh that sounds perfectly oh what are you doing oh, i'm eating some hot chocolate well bloody hell ring that ring the hospital we got we got a mad one here john like it's just it's the wonder it's the beautiful thing about but language. what's the difference and why, what's the, what's the difference know, that's 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 the question that's the point why is it that you are eating soup and drinking hot chocolate but the, but the difference is there is a difference the difference is that we have something to decompartmentalize and go, this is one thing and this is another thing. Or else, if you start saying, I'm going to drink soup, where do you put it on the menu? Do you put it with the Manhattans and Long Island iced teas? Or do you actually put it on the menu where it belongs? Like yeah. you start Do you order it from in- the bar? Exactly. You start getting into a whole raft of other questions and other horrible things. It's just a lot easier to delineate it into what it is because it's cooked with multiple ingredients. It's savoury. It's served in a bowl and eaten with a spoon. No, the way that you delineate it is by using its noun. The, you, the way that you delineate between two separate objects, Sam, is through nouns. One is chocolate. And one is soup. There's no, there's no delineation between what the, between what the action is that's based on the noun. That is an absolute absurdity. What, what, and and there's no, there's no idea within the English language of oh, oh well, we need to make sure that language conforms so that cafes can put the thing in the right place. What are you talking about? That's absolute nonsense. I mean, if I had a penny for every time we've had a conversation like this and Pete looks like he's genuinely about to burst a blood vessel. I think I think actually a lot of soups nowadays are actually broths, but mm. soup has just become the common parlance. Yeah. And there's a marked difference, I think, between a soup, which is a lot thicker, it's a little bit more edible, and a broth, which is something you can actually, it's, a bit, it's obviously more watery and you can kind of sip it. Where do you stand on chunky soups, Pete? What do you do with those? Still a soup, but it's chunky. So you've got to eat some of it. You've got to eat. Oh, no, that's absolutely fine. You're eating the individual pieces. When you, oh, yes, but when if someone you... comes over to you and goes, oh, what, what, what are you doing there? What are you doing with that, what are you doing with that soup? Oh, mm. I'm, mm. at the moment, I'm drinking. At the moment, I'm eating. What, what, you, what are you doing? Depends where I'm at. Do you, what do you do with Bovril? I'd, I'd throw it away. <laughs> right, here's, here's another question. Here's another question. Okay, you've just, you just been doing some exercise, Pete. There you are, naked on your bike. Yep. Fair enough. Do, do what you do. Live my you, life. You, you come off after you come off after a, a stern twenty minutes, all oh, parched. Oh, get myself a nice a nice a nice drink. Yeah. And your partner puts down a nice cold tomato soup in front of you. Yeah. There you go. There's your drink. Yeah. There's your drink. Yeah. 
pulls well, it over yeah, his sorry, head. Sorry, yeah. no. So, okay, so the logical <laughs> ramification of this is that anything in which you drink is suitable for post-exercise, like, sustenance. So what no, you're saying is... You so a, no, 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 no. What you're no, saying no, here no, is, no, no. oh, I your just, partner no. comes along and gives you, and gives you, like, a pint of milk. Oh, that's totally acceptable as a, as a drink afterwards to, to be refreshed with. Oh, by the way, you've just finished your exercise. Here's a Manhattan. No, that's not how that works. I was just putting you in a scenario where you would probably always have a drink. I mean, as myself and Dan, as both parents, this gets even more confusing because milk is considered a food for early children. So, and then it becomes a drink. It goes from a food to a drink. They eat it. Oh, have you had your milk? Have you eaten your milk? And then it becomes a drink as you get older. There's actually a transference of language. Isn't that incredible? So, you know, there you go. Maybe you never made it past that stage, Peter, is what I'm saying. And then when you get really old, it reverses. Yeah, it does, you yeah. eat tomato soup, but you drink a Bloody Mary. Mm. They're exactly the same. Well, a virgin They're Bloody not. Mary is exactly the same. <laughs> so it's, it's a society No, no it's thing. not. It's not, because you cook basically, the tomatoes. You is. cook the tomato. You cook the tomatoes as a process, a culinary process that goes into making that. When you're making a Bloody but Mary, you, you're just squeezing a no, mix No, because you've already established that with gazpacho, it counts because you've cooked it and then they've cooled. Yeah. So with a Bloody Mary, the, the, the tomato juice has been cooked in order to make the no, tomato not. juice and then it's been cooled. No, it's not. It's not. You just squeeze tomatoes. Also, tomato also, also, mm -mm -mm. This, is, this is a dead end because what you're suggesting is a drink is something that is not cooked. For it to not be a no, drink, not. it has to be heated. No, I'm not. Well, that's, that's... No, what I said was there is a delineation of why you eat a soup and it meets one or all of the criteria. I didn't say it had to meet all of the criteria. It meets one or all of them. Um, can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I tell you a, can I tell you a story, an origin story, please, about Mark who had a dream, who had a dream yeah. in 2016... Oh, right. um, that became a wonderful reality. Oh. And it started off innocently, and their partner was away, and they said, oh, we'll just get some friends around. We'll, we'll play some games. Mm -hmm. And we'll actually, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of put some tables out. Other people will invite some people. We'll get some sponsors. And eventually this thing grew, um, this little board game gathering, as it were. And they were very much inspired by lots of conventions naming their convention after bodies of water. So Gen Con, for example, is named after Lake Geneva, which I didn't know, actually, which I thought was an interesting oh, I thing. I didn't know that. I just thought it was generic no. convention. <laughs> so did I, actually, Sam. <laughs> and, uh, and nearby was a river and the air, the river air, and that became the prefix for Aircon. Oh. Uh, and that is how Aircon was discovered, children. Uh, which is, I should say, a gaming convention that takes place in Harrogate every year. It started off in Bradford, I think, and moved out to Harrogate, an incredible town which I'd never been to before, oh, nestled in the heartlands of the north. One of the most beautiful drives ever, um, particularly because we didn't break down, but also the view was wonderful. <laughs> and this was my first board gaming convention. I was denied it last year because my brother had the cheek, the gall to get married, and I had to turn up as best man. And you all went off to the UK Board Games Expo and yada, yada, yada. And I tried not to yeah. be bitter, but you did bring, you did go and buy me some games. And I, and I love you we very did. much for it. And one of which we haven't yet, I haven't yet played because it's a free player game minimum. And, um, and, and I, it I, might I keep also saying, be cursed. and it might also be cursed. And so, but aside from that, 
So we went to Aircon, Sam, and it was your first time as well. I knew nothing about this convention before I went at all. Mm -hmm. I literally thought it'd be a village hall with some trestle tables and uh, there'll be like some like some of those old benches and chairs piled up in the corner and people have to go and get their chair and bring Weep it out. That's wash. what I was imagining. Yep, that's yeah. completely it. And really, and the smell of hot dust Ooh, off the radiators. Yeah. That's what I was imagining. <laughs> Aircon was totally not that. No, no. And, and like, considering that we'd gone to bed at like one o'clock in the morning the previous, the previous night after seeing the Batman, and then we got up pretty nice and early, cooked us some sausages, sausage bap each, walked the dog, we got in the car and we, and we drove. And so I didn't really know what to expect from Aircon either, really, because we've been to the UK Board Games Expo last year, but even that is not a really a fair reflection of, of... I always knew in the back of my mind that that wasn't a fair reflection of what conventions are really like because that was a much more streamlined affair yep. than it has been in the past because it we were still dealing with some of the sort of ramifications from from covid so that was sort of very slim down there but i have to say that if you gave me the choice of which one to go to next year and i could make only one date i would now choose aircon mm. over the uk board games expo and i think there's one reason for this and i just think like how it just all is laid out First of all, it's a lovely, lovely Harrogate. So me and Chris stayed at a lovely travel lodge just down the road. We have a lovely walk-in across parks and in front of cafes and lovely flowers. And, you know, it's very different to crossing that bloody A road that went to, to the airport at, the, at Birmingham yeah, Exhibition Centre yeah. every morning when we were at the UK Games Expo. And the same in the evening, you know, in the evening, because it's the Harrogate Convention Centre is right in the centre of Harrogate. We just had our choice of places to go to drink, go to eat, you know, carry on socialising. Whereas in Birmingham at the Expo Centre there, I think we all felt very hamstrung in terms of, well, what do we do once we finished, you yeah. know, playing board yeah. games? Whereas whereas here it's like, right, the convention centre's open until half one. You can come back anytime, go off and do your thing and come back and play some games whenever you want. So there's a lovely Timothy Taylor pub what? down the road for the convention centre, Pete, <laughs> which was, oh, my God, it was so Oh, my God. Did you, did, you have, did you drink Landlord? No, I didn't drink Landlord. I went with one that I'd never heard of before because I thought I'd always had Landlord, so I'll go with something I'd never heard of before. And the convention centre is actually opposite a small brewery pub as well, I think. What? A small batch yeah. brewery what? pub. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. So that's one of the reasons I think it's great. And also, the layout, once you get inside the convention centre, is really great. Because unlike the UK Board Games Expo, and again, I don't want to talk about that in terms of disparaging one to lift the other one up. I think they're very they're two very different experiences. Like Whereas the UK Games Expo feels like a glorified shopping experience, this one felt a lot more like, yeah, there are places that you can go and buy games, but let's play them. Let's, let's just get together and play them together and everywhere you walk there's little spots there's these little hot spots of people just getting together and playing games and the amount of times me and chris would actually just go for a wander and just stop and look and watch people playing like oh i've heard of that one oh but i've never seen it out of the box i've never seen it but yeah i've heard of oh that one looks really interesting and you know the amount of games that we saw that we'd only seen through videos or on shelves in shrink wrap that are actually there in front of us being played on tables 
was was just mesmerizing and you know it, at the uk board, board games expo everyone's playing games but in this massive yeah, warehouse yeah, yeah. space like this app like two halls of the exhibition center and the only reason you'd pass someone or pass a table is to go and get some food or go to the loo or leave whereas here it's just like there was, it was so it felt so much more organic you know actually encountering people playing games and actually coming across people and of course it's a lot smaller so it feels a lot more compact and you know it it, it feels trite to say if it was chris wasn't it one of just just going around and like feeling the, the 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 energy and the enthusiasm for people just playing games throughout the whole weekend was electric yeah and everyone was really really super polite and really nice mm-hmm. people from all backgrounds families there new gamers you know with their their copies of carcassonne under their arms say for example you know seasoned hobbyists like when i when i arrived there sam and, and our friend adamski who literally bumped into in the queue to oh. get in he, he tapped me on the shoulder and uh and I was like, oh my word yeah wow brilliant oh it's great to see you here i've never actually met you in person before this is brilliant and uh, you and you and he went off to the bring and buy sale and i went for a walk just around and what i love about this which i didn't really appreciate it is that you can just go to this convention by yourself with nothing mm-hmm. you can literally walk in well obviously pay to get sick and stuff you can walk in <laughs> and i always went for a wander around and i felt a little bit on edge thinking oh gosh what do i do because sam's not here and he's been to one of these what do i do and i saw these two um people playing they were setting up a game of fort and they had like a little flag because you can get these little flags there that say players needed and i thought okay I'll, I'll sit with these guys and say i said do you want me to teach you it and I said oh yeah 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 if you could teach that'd be great so i taught them fort and as i was chatting to them they were telling me that they come every year they, they stay at the same table and what they do is between them in the year between coming here they together they think about the games they want to play they make a list mm. they come to the convention all they do is play the games they wanted wow. to play the whole year and they're a lovely bunch and every time we would walk through the convention center they were there in the same place with different people playing different games and it was just it's just wonderful and you really got a sense and again this is my first convention i don't know if it's the same uk board game expo you get a sense these people come here every year they all know each other and uh it's not too big it's not too small but it felt really really communal and very very welcoming and and there's a hobby that often can be dismissed as being something that's that feels a little bit elitist mm. and very tribal it really really yeah. wasn't that and that was a real pleasant yeah. surprise to me mm. i think I, I, strangely because i was i didn't i wasn't there um but my wife's one of her best friends at work randomly kind of contacted her on the day asking kind of if i'd gone to this thing and she was kind of like what what are you talking about and it was apparently because he had gone because he'd I think his his girlfriend had something or a friend of theirs had wanted to go so he kind of tagged along he doesn't play games he was kind of dreading it because it's like he's not his scene, but he'd seen apparently I don't know if you guys can uh, kind of elaborate on this he'd seen people with staying in podcast stickers and stuff so he had asked me about that and I was like. Uh, well we do have people there (laughs) but it's not me but he'd said that kind of like he'd been dreading it but he got there and he'd had a really great time because he's not like a big game and stuff like that and it kind of goes into what you're talking about how welcoming it is and how kind of laid back it is that someone who perhaps who doesn't isn't like deep into the kind of the hobby went there 
kind of not looking forward to it because it's not their scene, not something that they would want to do, but ended up having a really great time just because obviously they got swept up in the kind of the atmosphere that the the whole place creates. And that kind of, we talk about kind of that pushback of kind of not feeling kind of like you you really belong there. I mean, I had a I had a sense of it a little bit at the UK Games Expo because it's just not those places aren't my scenes. They're kind of it's not really for me, um, and I do at times feel a little bit kind of out of place there. Um, but it sounds like this is the kind of place that is really welcoming and really kind of draws people in. And regardless of what level of enjoyment or engagement you are with the hobby, there is a place for you to be able to embrace it and be able to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. The problem with the convention center is kind of you feel like you're locked in and committed to that experience. So it's like the amount of times at the UK Games Expo, we're like, well, should we just wander around the shops again? <laughs> just like, because you do feel like really like, well, I'm here now. I might as well buy something or just wander around the shops. Whereas at Aircon, even if you feel like, oh, what should we do? You can wander around the shops, but it's easier to wander around and see people playing games where it's kind of like you don't feel like you can just do that naturally at the Games Expo. Anyway, so. I guess we should speak about what we played a little bit, just in case there are some games that might take people's fancy. One of the first games I played was with our good friend Adamski. We played a game called Crash Octopus whilst we were waiting for Chris to get finished at the Bring and Buy sale, which is one of the most incredible things that oh I, have ever, word. I have ever experienced. And, and again, I think this is one of the things where Aircon really excels is that that bring and buy experience was incredible so the night before we were going to aircon i I turned to chris and said i wonder if they're they're doing a bring and buy oh they are all right so then me and chris going to all the different board game hotspots in my house going what can i sell what can i sell yes yes you get you get the little app you fill it all in and it's all bgg board game geek uh, linked up to so you can just search for the game you want it all pops up you just press it in fills all the details in for you you just set a price and then when you turn up they scan it put a barcode on and it goes into the shop and you and you forget about it and um so i sold some stuff whilst i was there which is really easy and, and wonderful but just walking around this one room that they had filled to the brim of board games that people had either donated because they were doing a fund for for Ukraine, which is basically like a pay-as-you-want, and people had donated incredible stuff, like some really like stuff that obviously people were getting rid of, but I swear I saw an original copy of Catan in there, like original, original. Yeah, um, you did. It... Yeah, and it was it was bonkers. But just, you know, that experience of discovery and and looking at things that weren't in shrink shrink wrap and were pre-loved and you could tell had a kind of story about them and as i said to chris i was like you could really make someone's weekend like in a place like this because it made my weekend that i just get like little notifications or just check the app every once in a while see oh i've sold my copy of carcassonne look chris look look i've made money and it's just like this is brilliant like i'm actually like profiting from from this weekend (laughs) So I definitely bullied Chris into to making some purchases at the yeah. The I mean yeah, uh, but it's yeah yeah. I bought I bought the games <laughs> off Sam yeah. Uh, no, I, I I picked up uh, two games, Merchants and Marauders. The literally as you say, Sam, the night before we left for Harrogate, I could see that he was there, and I thought, oh, I'm really going for a pirate yeah, thing at yeah. the moment. So I'm reading this great book called Under the Black Flag about the history of pirates in the Caribbean. It's an amazing book. I thought, oh, everyone says this is like the most dramatic pirate game. 
and I went around the bring and buy sale. It says here that it's in stock, and I, I and I was browsing and couldn't find it. And it was like being in a library where you know the book's here. It says it in the catalogue. It's here, but where is the book? Yeah. And I kind of resigned myself to the fact that maybe maybe this isn't my time. And it was the last trip we took the bring and buy sale that you found it, and it was wonderful. Nobody else had grabbed it. Maybe some people had picked it up carried it around mm, shall I and they put it back somewhere else so the games just move around the space there was one plate one card game that I wanted to grab I didn't in the end because when I went back they had gone but it was still on the catalogue where's it gone so <laughs> the bring and buy sale is just something that's constantly shifting and changing um, yeah. throughout and I bought Merchants and Marauders is the game I bought uh, from 2010 from Christian Markerson and Casper Argard for art from Z-Man Games which is a, a sandbox pirates game uh, essentially and we're going to be playing this scene pete where you decide am i going to be a merchant am i going to be a marauder and i i just go i'm going to go over there and um, there's a rumor there's treasure over there i'm going to go over there so that was a big box i had to carry around because i didn't have one of those nice backpacks that sam got for his birthday and the second one i bought which is what we played at the con which was raptor by bruna catala and um, with yes. art by vincent dutrace which is a lovely two-player game where one of you is a raptor a mummy raptor and their baby raptors who has to eat scientists uh, to win the game and the other is the scientist who has to try and capture the baby raptors or tranquilize the mummy raptor and that was a lovely little tug of war and there's something really quite nice that somebody walked in to harrogate into the aircon with that copy of raptor they traded it in like sam did they i went and bought it and i went straight downstairs with my purchase i opened it and started playing it i mean that yeah. game's gone such a, a beautiful little journey there isn't that really nice? And I've been able to introduce that. And it's new to me in a manner that it's old to them. And that's really, really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, the, you know, there's a lot about the new, the newness of this mm. hobby, like, and, you know, getting things that are new, but it was quite nice at Aircon. And sometimes I felt a bit cheap for doing this, but, but if there was a game that I saw that I liked, the first thing I'd do is I'd check the bring a buy site. Cause you can basically just search it like a library and just see if it's in there rather than just buying it brand new um so yeah so that was that was bring a buy that was excellent and then chris and i kind of settled into some of the gaming for the afternoon so chris introduced parade to me which i really actually quite enjoyed which is probably a diff a, a game that tends to be quite complicated to explain but actually isn't a complicated game and we also met up with um the wonderful people at hachette and we managed to get a sneak preview of a game called Sobek Two Players, which is a game designed by uh, one of the designers of Seven Wonders Duel and one of the designers of Jaipur. Ooh. It's a two-player version of a game called Sobek, and they, fortunately enough, gave us a copy just before we left the show, actually. So I think we'll talk about that on a previous episode because I've been playing it a bit with my wife, who didn't come to the con with us. But I think that warrants probably sort of in-depth discussion because it's rather good. What else do we play with them? Oh, we played Ganymede by, uh, yes. from Funny Fox, which is this really compelling strategy game where you've got to try and get people from Earth to Mars and then to Ganymede. And you do that by selecting cards, which basically allow you to shift basically people from each kind of planet but you have to be very very strategic like very very strategic in terms of like the colors that the meeples are and 
the the sort of the factions that the cards are in order to get certain bonuses and allow you to do certain things because the planets only can hold a certain number of meeples on them um so you've got to make sure that there's this constant like flow of people moving from planet to planet in order for you to actually get the process completed and i i I think both me and chris thought that we were going to be sitting down to this quite gentle just like conveyor belt of a game like shipping people from planet to planet but it turned out to be a very very heavy strategic game where you have to kind of think two or three moves ahead uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing not at all like I, i think it's actually a really really interesting game um but yeah uh, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. A, a, a bit of surprise Ganymede was. We played Viscounts of the West Kingdom, which I'm going to talk we about did. in a future episode because yes. the more I played that, the more I enjoy that game. And I enjoyed mm-hmm. it the first time, but I'm enjoying it even more the more I play it. But I want to talk about a game, Sam, that for me okay. was the MVP of the entire con. You introduced it to okay. me. It was sent to us to review Switch and Signal. Yes, so this is a game about trains and... This this was actually lovely for, for a lot of reasons, because not only was this the last thing we played on the Saturday night at one o'clock in the morning, but it was also one of the very few times someone else came up to us and went, oh my word, are you playing Switch and Signal? And we were like, yes, we are playing Switch and Signal. And they were like, we've literally just started. And they were like, oh my word, I've heard so much about this game. And I'm like, yeah, and we're playing it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a... A sort of a, a re-implementation, a reissue, I guess, of uh, of Switch and Signal, which was released back in 2014, I want to say. The same designers involved, David Thompson, who we all know and love because he's part of the team that um, brought us Undaunted Normandy and Undaunted uh, North Africa. So, you know, a designer of pedigree mm. um i think he also worked on that sniper elite the board game as well and yeah so this was sent to us from cosmos so this is a cooperative game about trains and the premise is very very simple you have two maps either europe or north america and you essentially all you've got to do is you've got to get goods from one city to another city mm-hmm. that's all you have Easy. to do and on the board you have switches and you have signals And in order to get goods from one area to another, you've got to make sure that those switches are switched in a way that let you travel through the routes. And you've got to make sure the signals are on green so you can travel to the cities. And you do all that by basically playing cards. So a card will allow you to switch a switch, which are these two black little tokens that allow you to manipulate different routes on the board. So you can decide, well, well, we need to get this train from Marseille through to Amsterdam. So if we switch this switch, when it encounters it, the train will bop right and back up to Amsterdam rather than just falling straight down into the middle of mm. France. And then you'll play a card to switch a signal from red to green, which essentially allows the train to move through that track. So if it's a red signal, the train will just stop there. Or if it encounters a red signal on the edge of a city, it won't go into the city. It will just stop on the edge until that signal turns green. And... Then the other card you play is just to move trains, and trains move just by roll of a dice. Grey ones move quite slowly, so the dice only move between one to three. Uh, black trains run the fastest, so dice move between like about three up to six, I think, or maybe three to five. So you've got these like bombastic black trains that just like bulldoze like through countries and like deliver your goods in a in a heartbeat. 
But then you've got the other, the grey trains, which are a bit more slow, sedate, and, you know, take their mm. time. And you might be thinking, why is that important? Why is there a differentiator between the trains? And that's because you're against the clock delivering these goods. So on the Europe side, you're delivering goods from like Berlin and Amsterdam, and you've got to get them all the way down to Marseille, I want to say, Chris? Yes, in the south. On yeah. the south coast. And so, you, But you're against the clock. you basically got a deck of cards, which is like your clock. So at the start of every term, you turn over one of these decks of cards and it allows you to do certain things like put new trains on the board or move trains that are already in action. If at any point when you're moving a train or putting a train down, you can't fully complete that action, you essentially will lose these time tokens that are on the board. Lose all the time tokens and then you lose a card from the deck, which is the timer. So essentially you've got to get things done quicker than you usually would have done. So if a train moves and its route and its movement is blocked by a red signal or a switch it can't get past, to complete that movement, you get a penalty take off some time tokens if a train encounters another train on a track while it's completing the movement take some time off remove some time tokens if the train doesn't stop in a city by the end of its movement to pick up a good it won't pick up a good so you've basically throughout the whole throughout the whole game you're sitting with your partner or your friends or your family working out this wonderfully simple but elegant logistic puzzle where you're basically running a train delivery company and it's absolutely fantastic yeah and you and you've got the little cubes go in the back of it as well you can slot the yes, little cubes the, in there you, you put the little cubes on the back of the train as they're delivering it and think and 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 you're there like having serious conversations like right we've got two trains currently outside amsterdam right I think, right, it's, this train is three steps away, but it's a black one, which means oh, it's probably going to overshoot. So if it does overshoot Amsterdam, let's switch these signals. So essentially it does a loop back round. So we might, get, so we'll, you know, get it on a future turn. So let's move, yeah, let's move the grey train because it's a bit slower and steadier. It's more likely to actually land in its location in Amsterdam. Meanwhile, another train's appeared on the board and we've got to, well, we've got to make sure that there's signals switched between there. So we want that to get that to, yeah, we want that train to get to Marseille. So we've got to make sure that the signals are switched in a way that it will bend its route towards that location. And at a time of the night where we were flagging, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd been up until one o'clock in the morning the previous night watching Batman. We'd been walking around a convention centre, having driven there from nine o'clock in the morning. It was now one o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning. And I never expected to feel as, as exhilarated or as giddy as I did playing a game as we did, Chris, playing Switch and Signal. We were, we were speaking about it and, and gabbing on about it all the way back to the hotel <laughs> that night, which is bonkers. Um, and then we woke up the next day. Very light and breezy. We we played Sagradia, didn't we? Uh, dice yeah, for the first game, time. Which is, which is you know, really which lovely. is the great thing about conventions is you know those games that you've been like, oh, I've always wanted to play that. I've always, I wonder if that's any good. And usually you just be like, well, that's thirty quid. I'll just buy it. And then you play it once and go, no. Yeah, well, that was that was fun. But <laughs> my 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 collection used to be full full of games. Um, like that those kind of one and dones oh we we learned something nice today didn't we but you know but yeah Sagrada was one of those games that I always wanted to play but never got around to it and absolutely really enjoyed that actually really interesting puzzle I've got the I think I'm definitely going to get the app for my phone because I think it'll make a really interesting 
little one player actually galaxy trucker was another one we rented that from the library didn't we chris we always wanted to give galaxy trucker a go and again we unboxed it we started playing it and somebody walked over and said oh have you played this before I'm like oh no we haven't and said oh do you want me to teach you the rules they taught us the rules and then they just walked off they didn't work yeah, there it was fantastic they, ju- they just loved the fact that they were there it's like when you know when you've got your favorite film you, I, I want to just watch somebody else watch this because i found somebody's not seen this film before i get that experience of seeing somebody react to it and they had that watching teaching us galaxy trucker i was the one that taught them galaxy trucker yeah and like little tidbits and like the you know the way you teach someone something and they and they were obviously getting carried away by about how exciting like they found the game and like they were like oh you're gonna love this and then you can do this and then you, you know you know once you've learned how to do that then this happens and it was just you know that that kind of thing is infectious you can't you can only get that at convention centers like it's really really special we played scorer as well which is another game that was being demoed on the floor which is um a really enjoyable sort of stick or twist sort of viking game about fish and i learned a lesson which was not to take 17 games with me in a big board game rucksack because you're never gonna play them all (laughs) everything about it was really fun and you know i came home and i spoke about it and the first thing that my wife said was like i'd love to go to that next year really and uh, and she was looking at the photos and going it doesn't look like what i expected like i'd love to go to that whereas i think if she'd looked at like photos from the board games expo i think be, that would have been exactly yeah. what she'd expected and be a, being a bit like nah, it, it, doesn't really it feels like, like my it thing. feels like generally there are three kinds of conventions and i actually quite i, I mean that aircon sounds absolutely fantastic I, yeah it sounds absolutely amazing sounds sounds brilliant there's that that kind of like not intimate but like friendly you're there to play games you're there to do that kind of thing like smaller but not necessarily small like mid kind of mid-sized yeah established you know what you're gonna get but it's a nice friendly environment like it then you got your like uk games expos which are your big bangers you're like oh people do huge announcements at these things and like there it is you know like tens of thousands of people and stuff like that and you've got your low-end uh stuff that i like as well the sm- really small ones like um wellington con yeah, Willington Con. Just me sitting in my pants in my house. Okay, I've got, I've got, I've, I've gone on. The, I've, I've, I've put this online on the Guardian. Oh, oh great! There is a section, a section called Semantic Enigmas. Somebody has put. This is Han from North, uh, from Hello. Norwich. Do you eat or drink soup? It is now the cause of much debate around the office and where Han works. Somewhere fun. You what, Chris? Somewhere fun. All right. <laughs> For a week. For a week, Pete's been on this. <laughs> Jeff, Seth from Edinburgh says, definitely eat. We don't seem to have this problem with other liquid foodstuffs. No one suggests that we drink gravy or ketchup or baked beans in sauce. So why soup? Mm, well done. Yeah. And then Jill, interesting angle. We've not explored this one. Surely it depends if you're using a spoon or not. I did I did say that as part of my delineations, mm. part of my categories, what it's at with. Okay. Kevin just says, usually I spill it. Ha ha. <laughs> usually usually don't give him soup (laughs) that was another episode of staying in with sam turner dan frost peter willington con and myself chris darby uh i really love that episode any excuse to talk about the batman i will be there definitely 
And I thought, given the fact that I've got the mic right now and I'm editing this podcast, I thought it'd be as a public service, I would just throw some recommendations to you, listener, of good Batman graphic novels to read that I think would really, really appeal that for me capture the detective Batman that interests me. Some of them you may have read, others you may have heard of, but these are recommendations. The Long Halloween by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, really, really good. Um, there are lots of kind of notes of that in the Batman. Uh, Batman the Black Mirror by Scott Snyder um, with art by Jock and Francesco Francavilla. The second artist there was influential to Matt Reeves in particular in terms of the look and feel of the Batman. There's the classic Batman Year One by Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli. And then one that you don't often get talked about, but I really like it, even though it has a kind of a supernatural lean to it, is um, Batman Gotham County Line by Steve Niles, with art by Scott Hampton. It's really about Batman solving a homicide that's in the suburbs of Gotham. It's really an area of Gotham that you don't really go to. So those are my recommendations, and uh, hopefully you enjoy them. And if you've tried them, or if there's a particular Batman that you like or want to recommend, uh, get in touch with us. Uh, stayinginpodcast at gmail.com is how you can email us. At stayinginpod is a handle for all manner of social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the like really there. So do get in touch because genuinely, like I'm really hungry for Batman at the moment. So um, I'd really appreciate any recommendations there. Likewise, also, we have our Board Game Geek page where all the myriad of games that Sam and I played at Aircon and what we've spoken about on this podcast will be there within that page as well. So you can kind of look at them yourself and see, oh, is that one right for me? Um, actually, does that Switch and Signal game sound good? Or is it just the fact Sam and Chris really enjoyed it because they were really quite drunk at the time and delirious from all the fatigue? I personally think it's an amazing game and one you should definitely look at. Also, I know we didn't talk about any today, but we do talk about video games in other episodes of the podcast. So we have our Steam curation page, which also captures and documents those. And I think that's pretty much it, I think, for the time being. Quite a bumper episode there. And without further ado, I will see you in two weeks. Have a good one and take care. Bye. Shall we do the spoilies? Oh, that's quite Ooh, Ooh, creepy. Let's treat ourselves really... to a bit of a spoil. All right. No. So, so it's, it's clearly it's a movie that's got problems. There's it is three hours long. I needed a wee about an hour and a half. It actually I needed a wee as soon as it started, and then I didn't go, and I drank a pint while I was watching it, which was really bad. So I missed about two minutes. But I, but. I will also say this. Two minutes. Uh, sorry. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Two minutes. Considering that 20 seconds of those minutes should be washing your hands if you're doing properly, then let's say another 20 seconds as drying hands. Oh, yeah. Let's All say right. Okay. Well, 20... maybe like five minutes. No, because no, you don't have to. When you leave the, <laughs> when you leave the bathroom, the, your hands don't have to be bone dry. You can be wiped yeah, on your trousers as you walk as well. <laughs> but uh, either way, when I'd, fin- when I'd finished weeing, and this is a bit grim, I'd built up so much urine in my bladder that after I'd finished weeing, <laughs> I literally staggered. <laughs> I, I was I was like exhausted from the wee. Anyway, so three uh, that was a, that was three hours long, uh, uh, and um, I will say that there were there are moments of there are moments where where it it it, it it's almost like 
it's trying to be clever but it comes across as dumb like there's the bit where you see the penguin waddle is the stupidest part of that movie i hate it i hate oh, it i quite like that. i hated that bit i was just like this, this I, I was just like and now i'm taking out the movie however every single bit of it from like the use of like there, there's there's very rarely a bright moment right it's dark all the time the stylish the, like how stylish every single part of the the architecture is every single bit of it just just kind of stylistically the whole thing just really works for me but the major thing that i get from it is completely encapsulated in in the opening moments and in the closing moments like you say sam like that could have been the trailer it, it could have been the trailer but the, the 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 interesting thing about it is in the opening moments when you are seeing through through batman's eyes what it is that he's no, not. sorry when it implies you are seeing through Batman's eyes. Are you? I think it implies that. It's, I, I, it's I, Riddler, isn't it? I don't. What? I don't. Hang on. No. When you're saying you're seeing through someone's eyes, yeah. you're seeing what the Riddler is seeing. So you're so seeing when through I, their when eyes. I, when, I saw, when I saw the opening scene, I thought I was seeing through the eyes of Batman, the the person who we historically have always seen at the top of buildings looking over onto onto Gotham, right? And observing something going on, right? Observing a scene. And it's always struck me in the Batman canon that it's a thing he does so much. And we we very rarely get these moments where we actually see this, but when you really think about who the Batman is, he is an absolute creep. Like it's really weird. Batman is a really strange character, and 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 Bruce Wayne and Batman. Like I know some people want to kind of divorce those two in entirely and be like, oh, this this person's really this person, and is the disguise really when he's not wearing the the cape? No, no, no. It's actually just he's a psych- he he he's he's a nut job. And like when in that first scene, I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe I'm seeing through the eyes of of Batman at this point." Of course, it's revealed later that it's uh, that it's not. But it made me think: this is what he would see, though. This is how he would he would be acting. He's he's got a cow. You'd hear he'd hear his own breathing, and then right at the towards the end of the movie, where it, where he confronts the Riddler in uh, is it Arkham that he's actually in, or does he, he go to Blackgate? Yeah, it's it Arkham. is Arkham, isn't it? When he confronts when he confronts the Riddler in Arkham, and and you realise that the Riddler thought they were on the same side, thought that they were kindred spirits the entire time, took inspiration from the Batman, like, and and when 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 Bruce starts to realise this, to realise how much he knows about who the Batman is. Although obviously, like, and and obviously that final bit of like, where he doesn't quite realize who uh, who uh, Batman's secret identity actually is, but when you realize that he kind of seems to, he the Riddler seems to really understand because he's a smart guy, you know he seems to really understand what makes Bruce Wayne tick, what makes the Batman the Batman, and actually thinks that they're basically the same thing. You realize as a viewer, you're like yes. Both of you should be locked in there. Neither of like you Batman should not be questioning this person. Like they should both just be locked away because they are basically doing the same thing. And it's it's incredible. Like it's it also manages to make that character of the Riddler, a character who 
I think at times can feel really silly and pastiches. You look at something like Batman Forever or something along those lines, and he just seems. Really... Oh no, careful. Well, no, I like I like it, but it is, but it is a character that is that portrayal of that character is a very specific campy, you know. Well, I don't know if there's Frank Gorshin in the '60s series who was of a similar ilk to Jim Sure, Carey, yeah, I, I suppose so. But like, I think the point I'm trying to make is that the Riddler can be played up for laughs, right? Can be absolutely played up as as kind of very silly and you know that kind of thing. But actually, manages to make the Riddler a character that at times, like you as a viewer, again are like, yeah, yeah, you were doing the right thing. Sure, your methods were were absolutely abhorrent, and you shouldn't do it like that. But that right at the heart. What is the difference between the way that you do it and the way that Batman does it? I, th- I think you know that is kind of what I what I enjoyed most about the film overall. Is again, I sided Chris that the fact it was a you know we were seeing Detective Batman for the first time, but he's a pretty bad detective. Like he can look at a scene and work things out fair enough and put two and two together and he's very analytical but he's absolutely terrible when it comes to like seeing the bigger picture like there's this whole thing like all this corruption going on and all this gangster stuff and all these like high level crime dealings no idea it was happening two years no idea that any of this was happening until the riddler puts it on a plate and says have you did you did you know all this stuff all these people are like and even then even when it's all put under his face and 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 the Riddler is showing him what Gotham is actually like, he still doesn't follow the direct path and goes on these wild goose chases so much that actually, and this is where the film starts to fall down in my eyes, the Riddler gets away with it. The Riddler, the Riddler's plan happens. Like, the Batman doesn't solve it. He, he doesn't do anything, the Batman. He... he, he he doesn't he's really ineffective as mm-hmm. as a as a detective like he's really good detective but he's really ineffective and at no point does anyone ever call out the batman for the fact that because of his methods and because of he was so obsessed by going after this one person he was so obsessed by saying well this must be the person I'm definitely going after that thousands of people died and it's at that point where I was like surely the cops shouldn't really be trusting this person now because the Batman is now practically... They followed him and took his lead and now all these people are now in peril in Gotham and the Riddler's plan has actually come together. But then the film portrays Riddler as someone who thinks that he's failed, but all of his bombs are... Like, at this point, it was starting to twist itself in some sort of logical, like, tonal knot. But overall, that impression of Batman and if they do do a sequel, I hope they actually start to address how ineffective and that he should actually be called into question for his methods. But yeah, but but that's like the two sides of Maycoy, the things that it, it did really well, but the real thing that it missed. Yeah, I, th- I think that that whole middle kind of act mm-hmm. was really, like I came out of it thinking, like you could just lose that entire subplot yep. because I'm sitting there, like the, the, the reference I saw immediately, and it's obviously everyone has seen it, is seven like the influence of yeah. a film like seven on this and i i think that's a phenomenal film and you i'm watching it and i'm i'm in it and i'm wondering which way which direction it's going to go and then as you kind of you mentioned kind of earlier in the episode sam it kind of it kind of forgets about that and it's yeah. going on a real good pace and it kind of forgets that to go on this subplot and then when it comes to the bit where carmen falcone gets shot and riddler's there you go oh he 
of course, yeah, you're back though. And then it yeah. immediately kind of picks up again. So I mean, there's the scene in the in the interrogation scene. Like for me, that was that was akin to Joker, Batman from Dark Knight, which is probably mm-hmm. one of the high points of that entire series. And I, I, it was reminiscent of that, which is kind of a huge compliment. That it was just fantastic, and it was just kind of electric and just brilliantly played by both people. And kind of, I think Paul Dano is brilliant in it with the amount of kind of screen time that's not behind a mask he does phenomenally well the only kind of the only issues i had with it is batman is one thing that's good about Batman, and i have to say i come at this probably in a different very different place to all of you because i don't read the comics i don't i don't read the i've read uh killing joke and i've read nightfall they're the only ones i've read and so i don't have kind of chris you're talking about you love the detective side you love kind of the, the the psychopath side i don't have like a version of batman that i like i i know the films that's my entry point and the bit i was talking about earlier that i was kind of missing was my favorite thing in the christopher nolan films is learning how he gets how he has all this tech how he is this great fighter how he does all this stuff because he is just a originally just a rich kid so why is he why is he suddenly this kind of martial arts person and can fly around and has the batman and all that stuff and explains it and i really like that and obviously the batman doesn't want to do any of that he just wants to give you this version kind of formed like a year or two years into it um you have the moment where the batmobile appears which is like yes that's that's what i wanted to see incredible but i didn't know why he was such a good fighter and obviously he's not like he's a martial artist he is just fighting with anger it's just violence but he's still able to take down a group of seven or eight guys who have all who can all fight. I didn't. I don't understand. It's something I've never really seen because I only watch the films. I've never understood the whole the world's greatest detective thing because, like, I've never seen any evidence of oh this is this is why he's the world's greatest detective. Like with Batman Begins, he trains with this like this kind of cult in Tibet or wherever it is, and that's why he can fight the way he does. But there's never been a thing where, oh, we've shown something where he's learned, he's studied, he's kind of, he has this analytical mind. It's just there. And so when he's just walking around a crime scene and he's just kind of been allowed to do that, I'm, I do struggle to like, well, what, what is it that makes you such a great detective? Why are you like this? And again, that's kind of why I want to see further from. So I want to see that bit more rounded. I want to have a bit more information behind that because that's what I like to see. Um, so those those were the kind of bits that kind of were were I was really looking for, and I got it with the Batmobile cause, because for one, the Batmobile it's just a it's a modified car. I'm like, fine, I I'm on board with that. That can be done by someone who doesn't have kind of like Lucius Fox to to build it for them. You could you could do that yourself theoretically. The only other thing that I think I I think I've said that about three times now, but there is only one other thing that kind of pulled me out a little bit because it is so gritty and grimy and grungy and you really feel the dirt under your fingernails with this whole this whole world but there's a couple of moments where it wrenches you out of that and when i talk about batman he is just a man he has trained and he's done this but he is just a man Mm -hmm. behind a mask Mm -hmm. there's no superpowers he's not got super blood he's not got a suit or anything like that he's just he's just a man and so the scene where um i forget the character the what the one of the guys who the riddler's attached a bomb to his neck Mm. Um, and the bomb goes off in Batman's mm. face, like inches yeah. away, and it throws him back. But he's not injured at all, and he's, there's no effect. There's no scar, and there's no it, like literally. He gets up after that, 
pretty shortly afterwards. Mm. And immediately I was kind of like, oh, so that's kind of so he's not just a man. And similarly, I think when he's when he jumps off the roof with the wingsuit and then sets off his parachute and slams into a wall like proper slams like that would kill a person. But he gets up immediately. He limps, but he gets up immediately. And it's those kind of bits. I'm like, oh, just you just you've pulled me out of it because you've I've lost that grind that grittiness that was holding me in this world that was so absorbing i'm not i'm not too worried about that because there's also bits where he's shot at point blank range and the bullets ping off of his armor like it is set up the the idea that like he has incredible levels of protection and stuff like that and yet at the same time there's moments where you see the the literal scars as a metaphor for the emotional scars that he suffers by fighting crime day in day out like there are there's there's huge sequences where it's just like yeah he's got this armor but look at his back it's absolutely messed up it looks like a dog's breakfast at the same time as him sort of looking absolutely exhausted um and just like a ghost like a ghost of a man so i'm not i'm not too worried about that side of things i but which I, i i agree with all those things because that that shows you he's just a man yeah so when those couple of things happen, that kind of ch- jar against that. I mean, the the big one was the one with the explosion in his face, and obviously that's a an completely uncovered space. Yeah. That's the 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 fire's there, but there's no there's no redness. Yeah. even, kind of there's, and that's why it's just kind of like, and it throws him across the room, and it goes yeah. off. It's like if he had turned and tried to jump out the way, then you know what, suspension of disbelief, I'll get on board. But it goes off in his face, but there's no kind of result of that and that was kind of it's, it's a stupid thing to get hung up on but it broke mm. the magic for me and it took me a while to then fall back into it it's really interesting you say that because like i've listened to interviews with matt reeves and he goes on about like one of his most popular descriptors is subjectivity and i don't know in what context he's referring to it as but he was very very keen that like we're we're, we're following batman throughout there's not really much where we cut away from batman and to all intents and purposes, we're seeing this world not just in a POV through his eyes, but we're given to view that this is how he perceives the world. And I quite like this fact that um, he can almost see in the dark. Mm. And that's why you get, you know, he, he wears sunglasses during the day. There is something vampiric about him. And uh, Reeves wanted to view him almost like some kind of like uh, lead, lead rock singer recluse who just... You know, he just shies away from society, eschews any kind of sense of publicity or anything like that. And yeah, he's on it. He's on. He's on the crime scene. What I really loved as a detective, he's not there going, "Oh, have you looked over there? Have you done this?" He's like, uh, "It's uh, the thumb was severed while he was alive." Sorry, he said again, "The thumb was uh, severed while he was alive." And it's like that. He knows the stuff, but he doesn't know how to communicate. Yeah. He has no yeah. understanding of how to socialize at all with any other yeah. person. He like there's none of that bravado that kind of. Christian Bale's Batman just gets straight away and he's like really husky he goes yeah nice coat and then he just like you know almost instantaneously comes back to Gotham he's like yeah yeah I've got the suit I can do this I'll, I'll do this for a bit of cave diving perfect boom 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 and I think it's really really interesting he's, he's really not comfortable in the role um, some people have complained online that he walks too slowly I think well yeah I mean but like those boots those, are really my, heavy <laughs> <laughs> those entrances the sound of the on the, the water the sound of just those steps in the dark i've seen loads of batman films where you see the criminals getting unnerved by him this is one of the very first where i'm unnerved mm. by him. you are you need help mate you mm. really do there was one moment where i heard sam 
make a sound that I've not heard since John Wick Parabellum. Mm-hmm. It was a <laughs> and it was it was that moment where, and I do it as well where you are watching something that is both really cool and really ridiculous simultaneously yeah. and it was the entrance of the Batmobile because it is ridiculous yeah. and when you realize that actually he's not using it as necessarily an outlet to compensate for something it's actually it's just purely fear that yeah. thing just growls yeah, yeah. in the dark and, and 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 that sequence like you're watching the penguin and the batmobile and it cuts between the two they're staring each other down you think this is ridiculous it's a car it's metal and petrol mm. um but there is something bestial about it and, mm-hmm. and 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 i think that's where reeves gets it right because that power of subjectivity we're seeing it as how the criminals see him um, we're not an outsider who's just there on the fringes. We're seeing it from them. There's a reason why the camera hugs so close to the cars as you're as you're watching that that kind of incredible kind of chase sequence erupt. This is how they see mm. him, and this is how he sees the world. And it's a world that's metaphoric, not metonymic. It's not about going, okay, this is this is exactly how it should mm. be. You know, this is in the Nolan verse kind of way, which I love. And again. I'm not trying to besmirch one thing to elevate another, not at all. But it's it's just a very different take. This is a metaphoric Gotham, which has these flights of fancy. And I, I don't even think some of that stuff happened as it actually happened. I think it's just how Batman saw it and experienced mm. it. And it's just how he's written it in his notes. That's how he's mm. remembered it in his journal. I think that's what we're seeing to some degree. This is how he thought thinks it happened, but he can't be sure, which is why he has to commit it to paper. And the writing is this awful kind of scrawl well, it looks like his. It looks like the Riddler's writing. Like it, it, it's bonkers. Like it, you know, it, it the the you know the the constant duality between those two characters is is just always explored. I think the only the only character that I really just thought like, why why are you doing this? Like why are you even bothering having this character here? Was Alfred because there is yeah. no reason that actor is totally wasted in that role. Like it's just yeah. like you know. He's he's a character actor ultimately who is playing almost no character. Like this, he's given almost nothing to work with, and we. I I almost feel like the movie wastes time, not really exploring the relationship, and therefore the the there is no payoff at the end. Like there is a there 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 are moments of like there are like visual moments of sort of touching, um uh you know a, a sort of touching element whereby you know bruce holds on to alfred's hand and that's a very the actual like cinematography of it is is very beautiful and and and, and really delicately put together and, and, and is really wonderful to see on a big screen but like i just felt nothing i felt nothing about those characters mm-hmm. i was just like well he just seems like an ineffective guardian like you know it's just like yeah very ineffective and i mean the fact that he references that he he previously worked for the british secret service and he's opening unmarked mail that arrives to bloody bruce wayne in the bloody office is is just like and 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 for me alfred is the most important character in the whole in in like everyone you know shares who they think what who they think batman is or what batman they'd like to see my favorite batman is a batman as a father and as a son and I thought that they go through great lengths at the start of the Batman to set this film up as a story between a father and a son being Alfred and Bruce. And, you know, 
you know the fact that you you know can't control and you can't look after your children all the time and you can't always be there for them and you always try to show them the right way but it's it's you know impossible and um you've got one character alfred who's a father who's coming up to deal with that and then you've got one character which is bruce which is a son who's learning to what actually matters most in his life and who has the most impact on his life but then that's just forgotten and then it comes back to what you were saying pete it comes back to that moment in the hospital when alfred does a dumb thing and opens up the the package and then it's kind of like oh yeah now i know what really matters to me because you nearly died anyway onto this you know onto this other thing which also and i know there's a reason for this the riddler right massive you know knows everything about everyone stalks everyone watches everyone constantly 24 7 knows where everyone is knows how to get them knows their secrets knows their vices nothing ever goes wrong but yet he can't find or track bruce wayne has to send a message to his house and i know chris you're like well it's because he never knows who bruce wayne is i still think it falls down on a logic point that like yeah but he's a riddler and he's obsessive like he is that smart and that intelligent there was never a really it would have been nice to see like his frustration at trying to find bruce wayne and try to actually but i don't know whether that's something they're going to explore in the comics so paul dano's written a written a riddler comic which is coming out later this year i think but yeah, Ridley yeah like yeah it's you know i think that that's my main issue with the film overall is that that length gives me time to start to nitpick and i think if it was if it just dropped the falcone section like that would make a great sequel like batman actually tackling organized crime and going after falcone and learning who selena kyle is and you know the rise of the the penguin all in the midst of while gotham is trying to rebuild itself from this massive tragic event i think that would make a cracking a really interesting sequel but for some reason it's kind of like we don't know if we're getting the sequel so let's put it in this film <laughs> but that's what i mean like that just gave me time to start nitpick and go hang on wasn't but how has he got that package to there and why doesn't he do that and actually he's not a very great detective is he and who is a riddler again and you know i just i think i definitely would have enjoyed it more without just if it was just shorter uh five minutes shorter than endgame mm-hmm. and so just put that into perspective it is 20 minutes longer than the dark knight and it's strange because the dark knight felt longer to me in a weird way yeah but that's because of the fairy scene yeah, and ten minutes—it's ten minutes longer than the Dark Knight Rises, which again I thought the Dark Knight Rises was longer. It felt longer. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about what ten minutes feels like for you. But it's just like I have the same problem with Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, like which I've not seen. When I'm thinking, of, just pardon, FYI, I've not seen. Okay, uh, I'm just speaking about length okay. in general. Yep. It's just like I know that the Batman is a is a fifteen, so it's kind of a moot point, which is another thing it gets absurdly right because i feel it's very difficult to make a good batman he can be done but tonally and structurally i think it helps that we can have a bit of violence i just think like if you're introducing these films to someone who's a lot younger like you're asking so much of that person (laughs) to go like i just think like where are the pithy 90 minute films that i watched when i was a kid and I mean, this is beginning to sound like, well, back in my day. But it's just like, you know, those pithy 
you know, 90 minute Batman films that I watched. But it feel, <laughs> but I, I got to say like Sam, like that does feel like a, that, that feels like a critique, a, a totally valid critique, but it feels like a critique of filmmaking in general rather than. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah rather right, yeah. than like yeah. this film in particular. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. 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 It, 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 it's definitely a critique of the fact that I think unless it really warrants it, like the story really warrants it. So for example, fellowship of the ring the two towers and you know return of the king which being from literary forms i don't feel like there's a way there's a good way that you could tell that story in less time i feel like there's no reason real reason why any film needs to justify being over 90 minutes in length i i i I don't feel like the form suits anything longer more than that I would say two hours. I think anything over two hours feels excessive. I can't really put a number on it. I just can't because as long as I know what it is before I go in, because as a child, I remember switching on Ben Hunt. Oh, this looks quite cool. And it was four <laughs> hours long. As long as I knew in advance, like I, I, when I went to see it a, a second time with you, Sam, I mean, I literally, I think I just ate raw rice so I wouldn't have to go to the toilet or something like that. You know, the equip- I, I didn't drink as much like drink or anything beforehand but whether should i do that you know is that does that you know is that a strange thing to do before watching a film it didn't feel long for me necessarily this apart from first time round when i thought it ended and it hadn't there was another whole act for me to watch and that's why i think i enjoyed it a little bit more a second time round with you sam because i i knew where it was going and there were there were certain little easter eggs little nuggets i saw that knitted it together um, but it felt almost like that last act was the studio going in, OK, it's a superhero film. We've not had any massive explosions. And oh, OK, we'll, we'll allow you, director, not to have a fist fight between the main villain and um, the hero. But you need to have some kind of sense of large destruction. So it feels like a, a blockbuster, even though I know it's March. So I, I, that felt to me a bit of a, a bad aftertaste. And also we've not talked about it. You're talking about the penguins waddle taking you out of the film, Pete. For me, it was a wonderful actor, but I didn't need to see it in this film. Was the Joker? No, didn't need to see it at the end. Did, no, didn't see the laugh. That was that for me was the big. That was the biggest mistake. I didn't even need to laugh. I didn't even need to know it existed. Yeah, I didn't you know what, care. Actually, that's true. There are so many of those rogues gallery that are just as interesting, yeah. but yet we keep perpetuating this. You know, Batman Begins did it as a tease at the end of its film. I really like that. It was just a little thing at the end of playing card. Um, didn't need it here and it's a shame if this was just gonna be one film fair enough but the fact that they're gonna make a trilogy out of this like what what's the rush do you know what Mm. i mean we're not marvel you know marvel does that thing and they've got this grand plan dc just lays the track as it's going generally speaking and the reason why i think this film is as good as it is is because we've had a pandemic to some degree which has meant that actually for the very first time in a dc film they've had that chance to pause for thought mid-production and to really kind of hone some things that they wouldn't have had the luxury of done to do in the past. 